at least, even if, even if you're not writing in, it's nice to be able to follow along and kind of follow the train of thought. Nobody? Wow, you guys killed it. Oh, oh, there's one. <laughs> you guys almost did it, you know. Yeah, yeah, whose side was that? <laughs> hey, man, that's getting good. I was expecting a dozen hands or so, and uh, just one. That's, hey, man, that's it. That's it. It's not the first. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, it's the third. It's the third. All right, so a couple months ago, you know, we, Corey and I did a series on the DNA of the body of Christ. And we looked at, in that series, what we were doing was we were looking at who, who Jesus is in, in that physical body of Christ that he had. Because that's who we're to be in this spiritual body of Christ that we call the church. And, and so just to grab one, for example, what we were covering in that series, if you'll recall, was you know because Jesus was the Word of God, our church takes an uncompromising position on expository preaching, right? So because he's the word, we're to preach the word from this pulpit. Not my ideas, not some sort of pop psychology, but the word. But, but three weeks ago, we began another series that, that really goes hand in hand with that series. And that's why I bring that series up. It goes hand in hand with that series, the DNA of the body of Christ, because now we're not looking at who Christ was, we're looking at what Christ did. And, and, and what Christ did in his physical body while he was here and that ministry that he had is the same ministry that we're to have in this spiritual body that we call Cali Harbin Baptist Church. We're to take that exact same approach. And, and for that reason, we've been calling this series the parallel paradigm, which is, a, is a, just a, a fancy way of saying the, the following, that you know, a, a paradigm is a, is a model or it's an, it's an example, we could say. So our, our ministry should run parallel to Jesus' ministry. And, and just like two parallel lines that are they're headed in the same direction and they accomplish the same thing and they end up going towards this in the same exact direction they're only separated by space our ministry should run parallel to that of jesus ministry headed in the same direction headed doing the exact same things only instead of being separated by space like two parallel lines they're simply separated by time he ministered in the first century and and we're to minister in the 21st century and to prepare us as we entered this, this study and, and to prepare us hopefully to be applying what we've been learning to our lives. Last week what I did was I, I kind of just set the expectations. We, we, were, we, were, we were studying that we can expect to be received by the world the same way that Jesus was received. We, we shouldn't think that as we share the message of Jesus Christ with the world that everyone's just going to think that we hung the moon for that. That we're just the most wonderful thing any more than they did when Jesus was here for sharing that message, and they killed him. But, but despite those things, we, there, there are plenty of reasons to follow this same path that Jesus followed, 
And, and, and that as we're following that path, we learn that God will bring people to us that are willing to hear the life-changing message of the gospel. And that happened in Jesus' life as well. But, but there are challenges. And, and, and sadly, a, a challenge that I believe that we face and, and part of the problem that, that I believe Christians face is that we're a group of people that tend to be extremely grateful for the love that Jesus has for us. And, and we know that he's given us a responsibility to share that love with the world, but the world doesn't get it and the world can't hear it. And I think maybe the reason they can't hear it is because the sad reality is, is that while Jesus loves them, his sons and daughters don't. And, and, and so what I, I want us to ask God to do is to, to show us the selfishness of the brand of Christianity that can be so enamored with what Jesus has done for us, but ignore a world that's desperately in need of the gospel and, and desperately in need in some cases in, basic, in the basic necessities of life. And it, and it tends to be that if we can just kind of turn our head and we can turn a, the other way and we can kind of block the reality of what's going on in the world out of our mind, then we kind of tend to be able to just keep going down the same path that we're going down, living our comfortable lifestyle that we've been accustomed to live in. And I don't think that's what God has in mind for our lives, and I don't think that's what God has in mind for our church. And we're asking God to do a work in us and, and do what is necessary for our approach to ministry to be a parallel paradigm to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this morning specifically, what I want us to look at is I want us to look at Jesus' ministry specifically as it relates to the poor. This, this study ha has come out of, of Luke chapter 4, as you guys may recall from the previous, from the previous messages. And, and in Luke chapter 4, what we see is we see that Jesus lays out his, the itinerary for where his ministry is headed. And, and we're attempting to follow that itinerary as a church. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, it won't be on the screen, but as he's laying out this itinerary and he's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and this is the beginning of his earthly ministry, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then and Jesus goes on to list six things, but this morning we're going to just focus on this first one. We see that Jesus went to the poor. So, so what's it actually going to take for this to be true of our lives. In, in order to answer that, what we're going to do is we're going to answer some of the, the classic investigative questions, not all of them, but some, and we're going to answer four of them, specifically why, what, who, and how. Okay, so let's look, at, let's look at number one. To have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must, number one, capture God's heart for the poor. We must capture God's heart 
for the poor. This, this answers the question, why? Why should I concern myself with the poor? Why should I concern myself with the poor? If our ministry will ever be this parallel paradigm to Jesus' ministry, or we're ever going to approach ministry like Jesus did, y'all, this is where it all starts. It starts with getting to the heart of the matter. The passion and the compassion that Jesus has for the people on this planet is something that's got to get ingrained in us. We're we're never going to see people the way that Jesus sees them until we have the heart to feel what Jesus feels when he looks at them. We we can sit comfortable in our own little world in, in this Laodicean age while the world goes to hell all around us, or we can beg God to come in and change our hearts. Hearts that he made new, by the way. God gave us a new heart, y'all, but something happened. Something happened to the hearts that He gave us if we can look at this world. And we don't care if people starve to death and spend eternity separated from God in hell. I'm just telling you, something happened to that new heart. And man, I know that I'm extremely limited this morning because I don't have the ability to change anybody's heart. There's only one that has that power that's reserved for him, but he has given us a book. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take that book and I'd like to use it this morning to to have God share with us his heart for the poor. Those that he came to minister to, that he said he came to minister to. And what we're going to do is we're going to take some time and we're going to look at a handful of places where the Lord shows us his heart for the poor. I'd like for us to look at Psalm 113.5, and some of these are going to come relatively quick. Psalm 113.5, the psalmist said, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? And the answer to that is nobody. Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? And here's how amazing our God is, guys. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and he lifts up the needy out of the dunghill. In Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah lifts up his heart before God, and here's what he says. Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 4. We have it? There it is. O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. And then in verses 2 and 3, he begins to talk about how how great our, our God is and how His greatness is expressed. And then he says, skipping into verse 4, For Thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible one is as a storm against the wall. In Isaiah chapter 41, in verse 17, 
God speaks and he says, when, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And in verse 20, he, he tells us why he does those things. And guys, it's not just to simply satisfy their physical thirst and, and not just to satisfy the hunger that's in their stomachs. He says in verse 20 that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. God's saying, I want to meet those physical needs, but, but not just as a means to an end, not, not just so their physical thirst and hunger can be quenched, but so they'll be drawn to me and so that their spiritual needs can be met. So, so that they can see, so they can know, so they can consider, and so that they can understand that there's a God out there that cares about them. And, and, and can I remind us that, that while our great God, He cares for them and He has a heart for them and wants to minister to them, sadly, the people that He wants to use to carry out His ministry are, like, are oftentimes so consumed with self that we don't care. He cares and He plans to minister to them, y'all, but He's not going to do it by osmosis. He does it through people. God's always carried out His ministry through people. God's heart yearns for people. Jeremiah understood the heart of God for the poor. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 13. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for He hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. So sing unto Him, praise Him for who He is. Psalm 109, verse 30, the psalmist said, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise Him among the multitude. Here's why. For He shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save Him from those that condemn His soul. Back when God was given the law to the nation of Israel, you, you could see God's heart in Leviticus 19.10. In Leviticus 19.10, you could see his heart because he said, Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. And he continues to reveal that his heart in a similar way a couple chapters later in, in Leviticus 23.22. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land... Thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Don't hoard all your stuff. Don't just get every grape and every last little piece of grain for your sorry selves. Remember the poor in the midst of that. Get what you need, but after you got what you need, man, 
Look to the people who don't have what they need. And God says, leave that for them. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8 says that if thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. He's the highest of the high, and he says, I regard the poor. In Psalm 140 and verse 12, the psalmist said, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. You know how the psalmist knew that? Because here's here's his testimony, guys. And if you're saved, it sounds a lot like your testimony, too. His testimony is in Psalm 34, 6. He said, he said in Psalm 34, 6. Is it there? He said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Does that sound like any of our testimonies to you? Maybe the reason that God is so compassionate about the poor is because he knows how we tend to treat the poor. He, he says in Proverbs fourteen twenty, he says, the poor is hated even of his own neighbor. But the rich hath many friends. Proverbs 19.4 Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. And in verse 7, All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. And what's so crazy about that is that that actually isn't just something that takes place in the lost world. The poor are actually oppressed in Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist churches. And it's nuts that God would have to say what He said in James chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? He throws that respect of persons thing in there. And it's connected with the Lord of glory. You see that? And, and you'd think that people who understand God as the Lord of glory, that they would sit here on earth and, and view this one higher than that one, and they wouldn't view that one higher than this one. You, you'd think that that knowing him as the lord of glory would cause us all to be on level playing ground understanding that he is the only one worthy of any glory but clearly they didn't understand this in the first century or god wouldn't have inspired james to write this and it's certainly not understood today in 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 verse 2 of James chapter 2 he says for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor stand thou there or sit here under my footstool are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith 
and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Do we ever get outside the American Christianity long enough to realize that some of the most faithful brothers and sisters on this planet have diddly squat to their name? To realize that just because God gifted someone with the ability to make money doesn't make them better in God's economy? James 2 verse 6 continuing on. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Inside of, the, inside of the church, we're all the children of God that were graciously pulled out of our mess by a loving God, a God that ju- doesn't judge our worth based on our financial statements. In, in fact, He's a God that warns us of all the pitfalls of having this world's good, of all the pitfalls that we can have when we, when we possess those things. He expresses concern, in fact. God's heart is is so connected to the poor that that God actually says that the way we treat the poor is the way we're treating God. Proverbs 14.31 says, he, He says, He that oppresseth the poor, who does it say that they're actually approaching? Actually reproaching. Either he reproacheth, his maker, but he honoreth him that hath mercy on the poor. Pro- Proverbs twenty-one thirteen. Again, God shows us how important our treatment of the poor is to him. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Have you ever taken a second to process that one? You know, the the Bible is constantly talking about how God answers our prayers. He goes as far to say in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, He goes as far to say that we have confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us and He'll give us what we ask for. Again, if it's according to His will. But we pray to God and He says He'll answer us, especially if we're asking for things we know that He wants, like spiritual fruit, like opportunities to share our faith. And here Proverbs 21.13 sits in our Bible saying that whosoever stops his ears at the cry of the poor shall cry himself but not be heard. And I just wonder if maybe the reason that we don't see answer to prayer is the poor have been crying out and we don't want to listen. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto who? He lendeth unto the Lord. Do you see how personal that God takes this when we come to the Bible? Just let him speak for himself as to how he feels about it. I feel like these verses are easy to skim over. And it's like, holy smokes, he just keeps piling on with this thing. 
If you oppress the poor, you reproach God. And this verse says that if you give to them, you're giving to me. And that which he hath given, will he pay them again? God says, you're not going to outgive me when it comes to giving to the poor. God expresses that same sentiment in Proverbs 28, verse 27. He says, he that giveth to the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Wow. So again, you're not going to outgive God, but if you hide your eyes, you'll have many a curse. Or maybe we could say your life will be full of conflict. So many believers' lives go from one conflict to another conflict. And I just wonder if these little known verses that we're looking at are connected. And it's maybe because we don't care about the poor that are crying out to us. In Psalm 41, starting in verse 1. It says, Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. That's what God does for those that he considers the poor. And what I want you to see from all of that is we have you know, beating the devil out of those verses. What I want you to see is that if we're ever going to have a ministry in our lives and in our church that's a parallel paradigm to that of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to capture God's heart for the poor. And that's Him pouring out His heart verse after verse after verse. God's heart for the poor. And then number two, to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must develop a biblical attitude toward the poor. We must develop a biblical attitude toward the poor. This answers the question, what? What is to be my attitude toward the poor? Now, I believe that this is a group of people in here this morning that studies their Bible and are very biblically astute folks. So I, I want to ask you a question. But I don't want you to answer it out loud because I am setting you up for failure. <laughs> what was the overarching sin of Sodom? homosexuality right was that i mean that's what you that's what we would think but but god actually does tell us what it was it's not left to the imagination he tells us in ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49 ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49 behold this was the iniquity of thy sister sodom oh wow he's going to tell us pride fullness of bread an abundance of idleness, sitting there twiddling your thumbs, an abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Would you look at that? Here you are in your third week and you're taking a weak stance on sin. I see what you're doing. No, I'm not. I'm just laying this thing out. I think it's a sin just as much as you do. Pride, 
idleness, fullness of bread sounds a lot like rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, doesn't it? And we don't give a rip about the hundreds of millions that live in poverty. 689 million people live in what they label extreme poverty, which is surviving on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day. And that's just the qualifier for the extreme poverty. Think about the, a million, the amount of millions living on a couple bucks a day. It, in, in Isaiah, God's people were fasting as a part of their worship, and they weren't getting answers to their prayers. And, and they were complaining to God, hey, we're fasting and you're not doing anything about it. So God begins to tell them about their fast. And in Isaiah 58, 6, God explains their fast and he brings it to a head and says in verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? He he says, I I know that fast that you're doing in your smug worship. You, You don't indulge in food, but you indulge in every other thing and your life is just totally self centered and self consumed. And he says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. And God says, listen, when you're doing that, verse 8, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. In other words, you'll be able to grab a hold of the glory of the Lord and take it with you. So so we get saved and and we know that if we're going to follow him, we're to deny ourselves. So, So we pocket our Christianity and we thank God for our eternal security and we go live a self-centered, self-indulgent, self-gratifying lifestyle with no regard for the needy for the rest of our lives. With no regard for the billions who are going to split hell wide open as they starve to death to get there. God wants us to see that we as his people have a responsibility to them. Look at what God said way back in Deuteronomy 15.7. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother, But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. In other words, that which he's lacking. You want to you want a biblical attitude towards the poor? Look at what look at what Jesus said himself in Luke 14, 13. In Luke 14, 13, he said, but when thou makest a feast. Don't always call all the rich and all those cool guys and all the people that make you feel like somebody and you like to be associated with. When you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed 
for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. They can't scratch your back like you scratch theirs. You can't do them a solid so they can do a solid for you. They're not going to be able to do or give anything to repay you or recompense you. But God has something better than that. Because you'll be recompensed in eternity or at the resurrection of the just. Proverbs 29.7 says, The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. That's just what righteous people do. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. I don't I don't want to I don't want to know about that. I don't want I don't want to see that. So if that's what righteousness looks like based on that are you righteous? Isn't that what salvation brought us? In, in 2 Corinthians 5:21 it says that he Christ became sin for us that knew no sin that we might be made what? The righteousness of God. Do you, do you understand that you haven't just been made righteous this morning, but the righteousness of God? And then Proverbs 29, 7 says that the righteous considers the cause of the poor. It's just what saved people do. In Proverbs 31, Solomon had messed up his life when it came to women like so many do. He had 700 wives, he had 300 concubines, and he said, I can't find a virtuous one in the bunch. He's a gl- <laughs> Yeah. And, and though there's many in, incredible women in the Bible, and, and many women who did incredible things for the Lord, there's only one that got the title of a virtuous woman. Remember who it was? So our, our girl, it's our girl Ruth. Ruth got that actual title, that name virtuous woman. And, and Ruth just happens to be the greatest picture of the church of, in the entire Old Testament, Ruth. And, and we go, okay, so the, the bride of Christ is to be a virtuous woman. And, and you plug that into Proverbs 31 and you have a whole lot more than a Mother's Day sermon. We see that it's teaching us as the church of Jesus Christ what we're to be. And Solomon's mother is actually the one that's kind of laying this thing out in this chapter. And she says, son, she does, if you want to know what a virtuous woman is, she does this and she does that and she does the other thing and she does yada yada. And in verse 20, she says, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. In Acts 15, there's, there's, this, there's this big showdown going on because the Jews can't believe that the sorry Gentiles are getting saved without becoming Jews. And, and, and so the bigwigs, they grab Paul and, and they ask him, what's going on with all this, Paul? And, and he tells them about the grace of God that even goes to the Gentiles, and he tells them how God called him to do what he's doing, and, and they told him, you know what, go ahead and, 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 and keep on doing that. Uh, we, we, okay, that's, that's fine, you, you keep on doing that. And then Paul writes to the Galatians 
about this exact same controversy. And, and he's telling them about the way it shook out. And he, and he says, they, they didn't tell us to do anything other than what we were doing. And what he says in Galatians 2.10, he says, Only they would that we should remember the poor. They told him, hey, you go ahead, you keep preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, you do you, bro. But let us tell you one thing, though, as you're doing that, don't forget about the poor, okay? And Paul says, and Paul goes on to say, he, he says, the same which I also was forward to do. In other words, he says, I was doing that all along anyway, I didn't actually need them to need them to tell me that i mean for goodness sakes the righteous consider the poor psalm 82 and verse 3 god says defend the poor and fatherless do justice to the afflicted and needy deliver the poor and needy rid them out of the hand of the wicked and if and if you don't like that there's a lot of old testament verses in there how about this one from the new testament in james chapter 1 in verse 27, which really sums it up, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What's it going to take for us to do this thing the way that Jesus laid it out for us? What's it going to take for our approach to ministry to be a parallel paradigm to that of Jesus' ministry. First of all, we've got to capture God's heart for the poor. Secondly, we've got to develop a biblical attitude toward the poor. And then third, we have a, we have a ministry. If we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must make a 21st century identification of the poor. We must make a 21st century identification of the poor of the poor <clears throat> this answers the question who who is to be the focus of our ministry and, and we need to make this identification because of the fact that as we've talked about if jesus came right now instead of coming in, instead of coming when he did then the poor right now in the day and age that we're living in would be the poor that jesus came to minister to he, he didn't all of a sudden become less concerned with the, with the poor now, these folks in the 21st century, than he was concerned with them in the 1st century. Is there anybody here that thinks that if Jesus came now instead of when he did, that his ministry would look any different? You don't think that Jesus would be addressing that need? We, we got, we've got eight and nine-year-old head of household trying to be mothers and fathers to siblings all over the world, y'all. Children starving. You mean Jesus doesn't care about that anymore? He only cared about them if you lived in the first century? Would he not hear those cries if he was carrying out his ministry today? Now, the easiest thing to do is to say, well, let's get behind some of those operations then that are helping the poor, and we'll throw a few bucks at them. And yes, I think we should do that, and I think that's a good thing. But there's something else we better do. 
If that's all you get out of the sermon, then I think think you've missed the point. That's part of it. But what about the poor that are all around us every single day? Right here in Douglas and Paulding and Carroll counties. What about the financially and physically poor people around us? And yet, if we're really going to get it and we're really going to identify who the poor are in the 21st century, we're we're still going to have to see past physical and financial poverty. You understand that there are people all around us that are emotionally impoverished because of what life has dealt them, because of what parents and family and uncles have done to them. And it's left them emotionally bankrupt. And and because of it, they they don't even think right anymore. And they do stupid stuff. And they do sinful stuff. But but, but we, don't, we don't see them as poor. And so it's easy for us to just keep it moving down the road. It's easy for us to just kind of move on down and let's be done with those vile sinners over there. There are people that don't know how to function in society. There are people that don't know how to hold down a job because of what's going on in the inside of them. The issues more than just money. And, and what I want us to see as we go through this study together is that we don't have to get on a plane to Africa to see the poor of the world. Yeah, they're there, and, and yeah, it's fantastic if we can go there and we can minister to them, for sure. But I want God to just reach down into this room, snap us out of that Laodicean days that we live in, and get in the field and minister in the field to those of those that are truly poor in this world all around us. But if we only think about the people overseas, then I fear that we're going to miss the impoverished people that we're around every single day. I'm afraid we'll miss the fact that as we go to work tomorrow, that on some level, almost every person we're looking at is poor. We're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus. We must also, number four, follow Jesus' approach in ministering to the poor. We must follow Jesus' approach in ministering to the poor. This answers the question, how? How are we to carry out this ministry? And and I mean, it's pretty simple, right? We we follow Jesus' approach. So, So first of all, letter A... Like Jesus, we must understand that the real answer to poverty is not money or food. It is the gospel. We must understand the real answer to poverty is not money or food. It's, it's the gospel. And of, of course, that's not to say, y'all, that there aren't, mu- there aren't multiple real people dying every day to starvation. One in every five seconds, they say. But it's... It's more than money. It's more than just food. Remember what Jesus said in the same con- in Luke 4, in the same context that we've been looking at in this series, Luke 4:18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. And notice it doesn't actually say here to simply feed the stomachs of the poor, because the issue is bigger than that. 
It's to preach the gospel to the poor. Well, isn't that the mentality we're trying to get away from? You know, that mentality that says, we'll let everyone else feed them and we'll give them what they really need. What if we give them the food that they need that'll keep them alive so we can give them the gospel? But it's bigger than food, it's bigger than money, because the real issue of poverty, do you understand what it is? It's sin. Sin perpetuates poverty. You you know some of the stuff that goes on in parts of India? You'll see millions of starving kids, bloated stomachs, the whole deal, when India produces enough rice and grain to feed the continent. While millions starve to death, you know why? Because the rats who they deem as sacred in their religion eat the rice and grain that could feed their people. You know what India needs? More money to go buy food? Yeah, let's do that. But let's give them what they really need that's really going to break the oppression. Let's give them the gospel. That's what Jesus said. He's anointed us to preach the gospel to them. It's bigger than food. It's bigger than money, but that's part of it. Letter B, like Jesus, though we are rich, we must become poor so others can be made rich. Letter B, like Jesus, though we are rich, we must become poor so others can be made rich. This is not a socialism push. I will explain what I mean. I'm not talking about giving everything that we have so that now other people have to take care of us. <laughs> okay, I've given it all away. Can I borrow a little bit, a couple bucks from you? Right, that, that, that's, that's not what we're, we're talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in verse 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. You know how rich he was? Philippians 2 says he was so rich that he possessed all of the attributes of God the Father, including his eternality. He's always existed and and has always been equal with the Father. But he, he didn't hang on to that, though. You know what he did? In all of the richness of his glory, what he did was he humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation so that we could be rich. Anybody spiritually rich here today? You know what Revelation 3 says about us? We're those people that are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And God says, you guys really don't get it, though. You're really wretched and miserable. And what's that next thing he says? Oh, that's right. We're poor. God uses his definitions. And and the way he says it in Proverbs 13, 7 is, is this. There is that maketh himself rich, yet has nothing. There is that maketh himself poor yet hath great riches. And what I'm saying here is in order for us to minister the way that Jesus did, we're going to have to become poor so that other people can become rich. 
In other words, we're going to have to come down off of our Laodicean pride and high horse and richness, which in God's eyes means nothing, so that we can begin to minister the way that Jesus did. So what this means is in order to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to that of Jesus, our our ministry has to be evangelistic. Preach the gospel to the poor. But in order to do it the way Jesus did, though he was rich, he became poor so that others might be able to become rich. What that means is we're going to have to do it with humility it's got to be evangelistic, but we got to step down a little bit. We can't look down our noses at these people in our area and in this, on this planet, people whose lifestyles may make us sick, if we're being honest, people whose political views may make us roll our eyes, and people who we just can't understand half of the junk they do. We can't look down our nose at them. And then next, let us see, like Jesus, our heart must cause us to see past where people are or what society perceives them to be to how they got there. And here's what I mean when I, when I say that. We Christians tend to, to do something like this. Oh, you, you see that girl over there? Uh, she's an alcoholic. You see that girl over there? She's, she's a prostitute. You see that dude over there? Yeah, he's, he's a drug addict. You see that guy over there? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's homosexual. But, but can anybody see past that? Can, can anybody see that alcoholic woman to see that what she's really yearning for is not a drink? But she's a little girl that grew up desperately in need of a drink of daddy. She grew up not getting it, and now she's trying to drink it away. And long before she even knew what alcohol even was, she was poor. She was longing for a drink of dad. You understand that in many cases, prostitutes, they don't do that because they enjoy sex so much but they grew up in a home where they just wish somebody loved them enough to hug on them and they found a place where that would happen if we're going to approach this thing like jesus can we look past the mess that these people have made of their life and look at how they got to that place do you think if you could see that it may do something inside your heart that makes you think But by God's grace go I. Have you ever considered the path that your life might be on if you had been dealt similar circumstances that they were dealt? The reality is, is we don't know the answer to that question. I get it. A lot of you guys have dug up out of horrible circumstances and come to know the Lord and walk the straight and narrow and praise the Lord. But many of us have reaped many blessings in our upbringing. And we just don't know where we'd be had we not reaped those blessings. Can we see them through that that lens? But we'll never have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to that of Christ. If, if, if If we look down our noses at people, Jesus saw the woman at the well and and she saw those water pots that need to be filled. You remember this? 
And, and he saw that. He said, that's a, that's a great illustration of her life. Here's a woman that's empty, that's trying to fill her life with men. She's impoverished. In Matthew 9, Jesus looks at all the people that are going here and they're going there and they're, and they're busy. And he looked at these people and he was moved with compassion on all these people. And do you remember why? Because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. Aimless, clueless, living purposeless lives. And he was moved with compassion because he saw past where they were and he saw how they got there. And then letter D. Like Jesus, our ministry must be driven by the lead of the Spirit, not simply the need of the people. Letter D, like Jesus, our ministry must be driven by the lead of the Spirit, not simply the need of the people. Billions of people in this world, this whole thing is never-ending. Jesus even said in Matthew 26, 11, no matter what, we'd have the poor always with us. No matter what we do, we're never going to solve that problem. We'll never remove poverty completely off of this planet, but he's, call, he, but he's called us to minister Jesus' way. And, and what we see in the midst of that is, is that Jesus was led by the Spirit. We talked a lot about this in the, in the, in the first message, and in, in this passage of Luke 4, where, where we've been gleaning all this. We come to verses 40 through 43, and Jesus is healing the people, and everybody Man, they're, they're freaking out. They're freaking out about just how unbelievable this is and how amazing this is. And they want Jesus to stay with them. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't stay. Wait, wait, there's still needy people there. So why, why didn't he stay? He relied on the Spirit to lead him. In Jesus' ministry, he depended on the Spirit of God to lead them because we're never going to be able to meet every single need. So what we desperately need is the, is the leading of the Spirit of God to carry out the ministry that He's called us to carry out. Oh man, w would you let God do something to your heart this morning? W would you let Him do something to your eyes? Would you let them do something with attitudes towards certain people so that we can see this thing differently and so that we can minister to the poor the way that Jesus did? Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we, <laughs> we were poor before coming to you, Lord. We were poor in spirit. God, and, and you rescued us out of that. God, I pray that we would get your heart for the poor. Yeah, sure, the, the, those that are financially poor, God. Yes, we need to be loving on them and investing in them, and we need to be doing those things. Oh, God, may that open doors for us to address the spiritual need, the spiritual poverty of the people around this world, but, but also the people right next to us, God. They have faces, they have names, they have stories. And you looked at them as sheep having no shepherd, God. May we not look at them any different. 
May we not be the ones to look down our nose because we haven't traveled some of those paths, God, but may we, may we look at them, God, the same way you do, with the same heart and the same conviction, the same passion. May we look at them that way, Father. We thank you for pulling us out of the, of the mess we were all in, God. If there's anybody here who's still living in the mess that we call sin, would you, would you prick their hearts and draw them to yourself so that they can call on your name to save them today? God, I pray that would be the case. I pray you would be using us in this community and around the world to minister the same way that you ministered while you were here. May we not forget about the poor, God. We forget about this thing, God. We become numb to it. And we looked at countless, we looked at so many places today where you express in no uncertain terms the way you feel about the poor, God. Our heart should be like your heart. May that be the case in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand. Respond to the word of God as we sing.